various diseases of the heart as well as um, you know spiritual remedies and, uh, and there are quotations from the earliest generation of Sahaba and Tabi'een Makhul said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said لا تكونوا عيابين ولا مدحين ولا طعانين ولا متماوتين Do not be a criticizer nor a flatterer Do not be aggressive nor feeble Subhanallah This is moderation This is what we call moderation in everything That we, have, we should not be criticizing people for no reason There's nothing wrong Just want for the sake of just You were itching to criticize That's incorrect The opposite should not be also there That we sit there and flatter people And say you're like this and you're like that Constantly praising people for no reason There's no That's uncalled for Praising people beyond necessary Is uncalled for Yes speaking behind someone Behind their back and praising them That's fine But to their face That causes You know problems spiritually When a person constantly is, is hearing A lot of praises That affects your own uh, spirituality So don't flatter And praise people Unnecessarily Do not criticize them Unnecessarily And then Ta'an mutamawit. Do not be aggressive When dealing with people Present your case But we don't have to Twist everyone's arm For every single thing And then Wala mutamawit. Then also Don't be feeble That your rights Are being taken away Someone is oppressing you Your deen is being pushed and uh, a person's like, no, we don't, we don't want to be, we don't want to be saying anything. We don't want to criticize anyone, regardless of what happens. So we should not be, as they say, you know, don't be so bitter that they spit you out. Don't be so sweet that they swallow you. Right? You just got to be right in between. Just be right in between. Uh, and this is uh, how the Deen teaches us. Allah Subhanahu wa has made this ummah an ummah of moderation. Anas ibn Malik said, When a man would meet the Prophet and shake his hand, The Prophet would not remove his hand from the other hand until the other man removed it first. And he did not turn his face aside until the other man turned away first. وَلَمْ يُرَى مُقَدِّمًا رُكْبَتَيْهِ بَيْنِ يَدَيْ جَلِيسٍ لَهُ No one ever, no, no one who ever sat with him ever saw the top of his knees. Subhanallah. Meaning, this is how uh, humbly he would sit, even in front of people. This is the Nabi of Allah, if, we, if a person doesn't believe in it, we talked about it yesterday, if a person simply raises his voice above his voice, his deeds will be nullified. Possibility of being nullified, it's as bad as outright becoming a non-Muslim. Right? Atheist or, or blasphemous or whatever. Disrespect to Rasulullah. So that Nabi, look at the ability that he has, humility, that anyone wants to shake hands with him until the other person doesn't leave his hand. And now imagine if you get a, hand to, if you get a chance to shake Rasulullah's hand. It's not going to be a quick shake with the finger, right? It's going to be a proper handshake. Imagine, uh, as one, one Sahabi says, I, 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 you know, I can't forget the touch of Rasulullah's skin. I've never touched any, any silk or any cloth that was that soft. As the skin of the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, mashaAllah. Right, so when a person would be blessed to, to shake hands with the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, naturally, what would happen? He would not want to let it go. But yet the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would not uh, push his hands away, pull his hands away until the Sahabi himself would do so. Innakum Yazid narrated. Aswad ibn Yazid narrated that Aisha radiallahu anha said, "Innakum la tuqfiluna afdal al-ibada at-tawadu." 
Aisha radiallahu anha said, you are, you are neglecting the best worship. The best worship, you're neglecting it. And what is that? At-tawadu, humility. Humility is the uh, best worship. Yesterday, I, in my late night session, I talked about some of my asatida and some of my teachers. And that's what those ulama were known and are still known for, is humility. And so they, we used to, in South Africa, you had a term that said, when someone, this, you know, they would, it would, someone would start, would be so-called, you know, unnecessarily acting humble. Then say, well, please don't do plastic tawadu. You know, the plastic, it's, it's not real. It's fake. Plastic's been out of plastic. So, um, <laughs> different ways of saying things. Sometimes, you know, it's a brother leads salah. No, 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 you lead, you lead, lead. And then they say, oh, you see, your beard is getting all dusty. So, what? So, I didn't understand this figure of speech over there. Why do they mean by that? Because they're saying, you, you're, mashallah, you're so humble, you're putting your head on the ground, and now you're, all this soil has not come onto your beard. <laughs> so these are figures of speech of just, don't, don't, be, uh, don't, do, don't do fake tawadu. Because fake tawadu is worse than arrogance. Because why arrogance? You're acting arrogant. Fake tawadu is you're acting arrogant, but making it look like you're humble. <laughs> right? So, so that's, that's worse. Genuinely, a person should be asking tawadu. From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um... Abu Muhazzim narrated Abu saw a man riding on an animal while a child was walking behind him while the, while the man was walking on the, was riding on the camel he said O servant of Allah carry him because he is your brother his soul is just like yours so he carried him meaning this is your convenience yes this is a random person not related to not your son but still, he is a human being who has a soul like your soul and who would get tired like you would get tired. So then why don't you be accommodating and let him come and sit with you on the camel? That, that requires empathy, that requires humility for a person to do so. لَمْ يَكُنْ رَسُولُ sababan. The Prophet did not swear. وَلَا was He was never vulgar. And... The most he would say when he would get upset at someone, What is wrong with him? May his forehead be covered in dust. The intended meaning, however, is, by may your forehead be covered in dust, is not to supplicate or curse someone. It's rather an expression that the Arabs would use for encouragement. It is also understood as a supplication of the literal expression. That may you start making more sujood so that your forehead can get some dust on it. Right? So that what's the most our Prophet ﷺ would say would not curse anyone, would not use vulgar language. Aisha radiallahu says, "Labistu diran jadidan." I wore a new shirt. Fajaltu an andura ilahi, and I began looking at it, admiring at it. Fakal Abu Bakr, but then Abu Bakr radiallahu her father said, "Ama taalamina an Allah qad yaraki." Do you not know that Allah sees you? Ajib. You know, the idea is the best of, uh, the best of a people, person after the Prophet Abu Bakr Siddiq is correcting the mother of the believers, the most beloved wife of the Prophet his daughter. And that's a thing. There was no such thing as, uh, you know, people, feelings are going to get hurt. The last thing, the Sahaba were focused on what does Allah want, what does Rasulullah want, and that's it. Which, that's all I care about. After that, everything else. When again, example, if someone is, is sitting there um, disrespecting your parent 
or speaking ill about them, cursing them out. At that time, you will not think that what will this person say if I tell him, can you please stop? Can you please say it a little bit softly, the curse words that you're hurling at my mother? A little bit soft. It's a bit annoying here. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't care what that person thought about you when you reprimand him or become very upset or go beyond that. Because your, def- your love for your parents your, and the, the desire to defend them is far more powerful feeling than worrying about what's going to happen when you ups- get upset at this individual. Same thing, our love for Allah and our love for our Nabi, unfortunately, is like at an all-time low. Like we love things, I love our, if someone scratches our car, you know, we'd probably get, you know, lose our temper. If someone even says, ah, that car's not the best, you know, there's some, uh, another car. If someone speaks about the team that you root for and says, oh, no, the other team is better, people, they get so angry. You've seen people stab each other in the world now. Right? People get so mad. We love a soccer team, a basketball team, a football team, unfortunately, but do we have the love of Allah and Rasul to that degree that when someone dismisses the sunnah, change, tries to change the sunnah, or, or anything, and then we say, no, you know what, that's not, it's not my problem. Every, every man has a right to do whatever he wants. That just tells us that we truly in our heart, a heart of all hearts, do not love Allah and His Rasul the way we should. Otherwise, we won't be able to keep quiet. And so here's Abu Bakr Siddiq correcting his daughter. When are we as fathers and mothers going to correct our children? When they neglect things. Right? When they, you, you've heard the story of Abdullah ibn Umar anhu. Where um, he he saw his, his son was throwing pebbles, you know, like you throw you do marbles. He was seeing the throwing pebbles, like slingshotting them, and he said, you know, don't do that. He still did it. He said, don't do that. I, and then he said, Rasulullah Sallam specifically. He he said, Naha Rasul Sallam anil qadfi. The Prophet Sallam. Uh, the Prophet Sallam prohibited people from, uh, you know, pelting stones and throwing things like this. And he still did it. Okay, you're my blood, but there's something thicker than blood is my love for my Nabi. He never spoke to him after that. He never spoke to him. And I remember one time I was looking at the crowd, I'm like, man, should I even read this hadith? I'm not going to handle it. Because we're so far away from this reality. Like you have to understand, we have to repeat this. We have to love Allah and His Rasul more than we love our wife, more than we love our kids, more than we love our husbands, more than we love anything else. قُلْ إِنْ كَانَ آبَاؤُكُمْ Look at the Quranic verse. قُلْ إِنْ كَانَ آبَاؤُكُمْ Say, if you are آبَاؤُكُمْ your fathers. وَأَبْنَاؤُكُمْ Your sons. وَإِخْوَانَكُمْ Your brothers. عَشِيرَتُكُمْ Your family. أَمْوَالٌ اِقْتَرَفْتُمُهَا That money that you have gathered. تِجَارَةٌ Your business. تَخْشَوْنَ كَسَادَ That you're so worried is going to go bankrupt. تَخْشَوْنَ كَسَادَ That's part. وَمَسَاكِنْ And your beautiful homes. Homes, houses, dwellings. أَحَبَّ إِلَيْكُمْ If they are more beloved to you. مِنَ اللَّهِ Than Allah. وَرَسُولِهِ And His Prophet. وَجِهَادٍ فِي سَبِيلِهِ And more beloved to you than sacrificing in Allah's deen. فَتَرَبَّصُوا What does تَرَبَّصُوا mean? Wait. دَزَارْ كَرَوْ Wait. حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ اللَّهُ بِأَمْرِ Until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send down His orders of destruction. وَاللَّهُ لَا يَهْدِي الْقُمُ الْفَاسِقِينَ And Allah will not guide those who are open transgressors. This ayah should give us goosebumps from Surah Tawbah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is clearly saying, if you love your business, your family, your wife, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your siblings, your group, your clique, more than you love Allah, more than you love the Prophet and more than you love sacrificing in Allah's path, then wait, it's all gonna fall down soon. Uh, it's, it didn't happen right now because my command hasn't come. But when it comes, when it breaks, you know, then you'll see, you know, when it rains, it pours, it'll, all hell will break loose. And then there's no turning point. There's no turning back. There's no tawbah. 
it's game over. This ayah, let's read it. I remember some ulama when they came to South Africa, they, explore, they explained this ayah to, to, over there again and again. So many mashayikh, because people there have, mashallah, a lot of wealth and this, then, living very luxurious lives. Many of the people from Indo-Pak. So, um, they would say this ayah, that okay, you have a nice home, this, that, but you better love Allah, Rasul, sacrifice the deen, than you love your home, your business, your children. This is where we're lacking today. People simply are Muslim, but they don't have that level of commitment to it. How many of us are going to say that? What I just said, that my son, my wife, is, uh, or my husband says this about the deen, and says, I mean, Ajib, man, it's so sad. There's a, girl, a guy gets married a few weeks later, like wife, I, I get these questions. My wife wants me to trim my beard, or my wife wants me to shave my beard, or my, the husband is asking me to remove my niqab. Husband, I've seen gloves, niqab, everything. And the husband made him remove the niqab, remove the gloves, remove the scarf. And what, what is, what is it? they say, oh, bichari. No, she's not bichari. She took a step on that. She said, no, this is, it. This is my deen. I didn't marry for that. If that was, you should have said that stuff in the first place, I would have never accepted this marriage. And he should have said the same thing too. I love my deen. My sunnah is more than anything else. Yeah, alhamdulillah, there are millions of other women and there's millions of other men. My, you are number two. Number one is Allah. That's why Allah SWT says men and women are like garment. Yeah? You heard this. Masha'Allah, huh? so nice. Husband, wife are garments. But guess what? Allah SWT says, نَحْنُ أَقْرَبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ I'm closer to you than your jugular vein. Garment is outside. Your vein is inside. Jugular vein is inside. Allah is definitely closer to you than your spouse. Clothes are great, but you can take it off. You can't take off your vein. So there's no, there's, this is like no compromise. Our spouse is there because of Allah. Why are we even married in the first place? Ask yourself. Because the deen teaches us to get married. That's why, not because it's just a biological need then there's no reward in that. The deen teaches us. It's a sunnah of all the prophets. Allah wants us to get married. So the reason I fulfill your rights is because my Lord wants to. So number one priority is my deen. And that's the same thing I expect from the spouse. She should be saying that, you know what, I'm with you as long as the deen is there. That's it, I'm going to support. But if you're going to turn me away from the deen, then you know, this is going to be a problem. So there's so many spouses, unfortunately. That's what the Quran says, O believers, indeed, your spouses and your children, some of your spouses and some of your children are your enemies. Indeed, some of your spouses and your children are your enemy. Allah kehra, I'm not saying this. No. Imam Sahib is not saying, Allah is saying in the Quran, indeed, some of your spouses and some of your children are your enemy. So be careful, be wary. Be careful around them. Lest it happens that the love of your children, the love of your wife, the love of your husband ends up making you turn your back to Allah. And then you're going to suffer huge losses. So we, we, we need to bring back that time when we tell that to our sons and daughters. As someone said that beautifully. It's like the kids, they say, oh, Baba loves unconditional love at all cases. So someone said, no, Allah doesn't also love us unconditionally. Who's gonna, who am I to love you unconditionally? I thought, man, that's right. Allah doesn't love us unconditionally. If you love, why would you throw someone in hell? You do what you're supposed to do, you're gonna get everything you want. But you mess around, then there's punishment as well. So this whole idea of unconditional love, you, you run over the sharia, you leave the deen, leave the sunnah, trample, whatever you want, and you expect me to just say, oh, it's okay, you're my son, my daughter, I'm not gonna say anything. No, that doesn't work like that. So whatever, subhanAllah, ruin we see in the community, it's a generation before. Now we're looking at the, the after effects of it. The after effects of it. There are a few and far and wide probably of people, parents who made 200% effort and the children went off track. There are them, but that's not their fault. 
But then those who didn't make the effort, that's what we're paying for. The community is paying the price for the mistakes of the previous generation. And then now, this is going to be compounded loss. Because these guys are already lost now. When, they, when these lost people, they get married and they have even more lost children, it's game over. Right? That's why we're talking about, let's look at the uh, different communities that have migrated. I was speaking to the Uzbek community yesterday. MashaAllah, 100 plus brothers came here last night. I was speaking with them. I said, brothers, I, I, you know, you guys have chance. I'm, I'm pouring my heart out to you. You guys can actually save your children. The, the Indian Pakistanis, they came in different waves. 70s, 80s, a little bit, some before that, but big chunk of the 70s. And you see the, what type of situation they are. Some of them are good, but some of them have completely lost it. And then let's take a step back to the, those who came from Lebanon, and Yemen, Syria, 20s and 30s. Palestinians come even after that. Gone. This first generation that came in the 20s, the Arabs, and then those brothers who came in the 60s and 50s, the amount of, 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 of irtidad and apostasy you see in that generation, it's, it's gone. It's finished. It's so sad. Because why? They've been here longer. And you want to go a little bit, go down to South America. You want, you want to do a little study what will happen in America? Go to South America. I, I, I led Tarawi one year in Peru. And I was in Chile in Peru. A little bit, mostly in Peru, and then I spent two days in Chile. And so over there I saw that the first masjid that got built in Chile where I led one night Tarawi, it's a huge masjid built by the Jordanian embassy, was built in, I think, in 1998. The huge, very large masjid, 1998. The, the, the census that they have, the, history, the data, is that there were... 1.2 or 1.3 million Muslims in 1890. 1890. 1998, and I guess Lebanese government gives them a chance to vote from there, that they actually have the elections in Lebanon for their own country based on the time zone of Brazil, which is such a different time zone, to accommodate the voters, Lebanese origin voters in Brazil. At the highest levels of the government, highest levels of the government, you'll see people who are Arab. Can you see any Islam there? Finish. Nothing. Barely. Hanging on by not even a thread of a thread of a thread. It's mostly about people who came later on. And some of them are even children of Sahaba, believe it or not. I know my Ustad shared a story. One of the Jamaat said, Kam Saad shared a story. They went to go visit someone. And uh, he was like, you know, not a Muslim. Of course not a Muslim. Muslim name, Muhammad Aisha is that everyone has got Muslim names, Arabs name, but not a Muslim. And then he's like, oh, is there any amongst you who speak Arabic? They say, yeah, we have a scholar. He knows how to read Arabic. He said, okay, I have some stuff Arabic written in my, in my, in my garage or whatever. He opened that up and brought some, he brought a, uh, he brought a family tree in Arabic. And the family tree went back all the way to Tamim Adari radiallahu anhu. That only companion who saw Dajjal. And the only companion who actually brought the lantern into the masjid of the Prophet right, in the ninth year of Hijrah. The children of Sahaba, great grand, you know, gone completely. So when you see, when, when effort is not made, and everything starts getting watered down, and you start uh, intermarriages, mixing and marrying people of, 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 of different religions, and uh, you're not teaching the deen to your kids. It's just a matter of time that everything, you lose everything. 
So it's something definitely worth study. Go study Central America and especially South America to see if, if, we, don't, if we all don't care about our deen in this country, where are we going to be headed? We're all depending on what? We're all depending on immigrants. Just look at every masjid, every crowd. Everyone's excited. Wow, who is running the masjid? Who is donating towards the masjid? In most masjids, 50, 70, 80%. Who is it donating? All are, maybe they're 30-year-old, but they're born in India, born in Pakistan, and came here. Maybe they're 60-year-old, 7-year-old, born in India, born in Pakistan, born in Palestine, born in Syria, born in whatever. They're the ones. They built it, they founded it, they're running it, they're donating it. They're donating towards the endowments. Where are their four kids of each one of them? Where are they? Where are they? Each of these guys who write, even the guy who writes a 50K check, where are your kids? The guy who's front row behind the imam fighting, elbowing to be right behind the imam. Where are your kids, bhai? Oh, like how is this elbowing to be behind the imam going to save your kids? And you don't think you're going you're gonna to be asked about that? Literally, you're just going to come quietly behind the imam on the day of judgment. I just prayed. You really think you're going to get off the hook by that? That your kids weren't here, nowhere to be seen. The entire Ramadan, nowhere to be seen. And we are, mashallah, trying to fight for the front row, which is great. But we have to have our priorities right. Where's our kids? That's the question. And so the future of this country should not be judged based on how many fundraisers we're having, how huge the masjids are being built. Because ask who is opening these masjids everywhere. It's the immigrant community. Illa mashallah. The immigrant community is still coming. Like the Uzbeks, mashallah, Allah reward them and preserve them. They're building multiple masjids across the country now. And they donate very generously to their own masjids and everywhere else too. How long have they been here? Seven years. Most of them came in 2015. And a few other chunk of them came in by 2005. That's it. They're so new. That's why I was telling them, I'm like, listen, man, you guys are awesome, but you know what? Your kids, kids, kids understand what you're dealing with. We, we're suffering. Our community is suffering. And the Arabs are suffering even more. Don't, you know, don't fall into what we've, the traps we fell into. You got to make sure that your deen moves on to the next generation. Right? So that will happen when you love Allah and His Rasul more than anyone else. Now in this day and age, are we going to say that if someone says something, immediately stop talking? I hope we all have that level of aql, faham, understanding, and wisdom that that's not what I'm saying. It might be, it might be very late. If, you've gotten, if someone's gotten accustomed to leading a life in which no one tells them anything, like an employer, if he sees an employee doing something wrong, coming late to work or not doing his work, when are you supposed to correct them? First time. It's now 10 years he's become supervisor. And you're like, yeah, this guy comes late. Too late. He's VP of the company. Too late. You should have said something long ago. Now you just got to, you know, bite it and just make suffer. Because he's going to leave the company and it's going to cause a lot of problems. He might sue you, this, that, all sorts of stuff. You might as well just let him come in whenever he wants now because it's too late. Right? Unless he's doing so much harm, you're like, I don't care. I don't mind going to court. I'm going to kick this guy out if he doesn't want to change. Sometimes that happens. So when it comes to spouses and children, we have to make these decisions early on in marriage. And so those who are not married, be very careful who you get married to. Boys and girls, both. Those who don't have any children, be careful on how you raise your children. Those who have little ones, be super, super careful. Be like Abu Bakr al-Lahanu. Why are you sitting there adorning? You're sitting there looking at your clothes. Allah is looking at you. Allah, Allah wants to see, you know, haya in you. Hazrat Shaykh Zakir rahmatullah's story, I heard it as a, as a child. Abiti, the biography of Hazrat Shaykh. This is what we need to read. May Allah give me tawfiq and you all to, to read stuff like this. Biographies of the Salaf. Right? So it's written in his biography that he was three, four years old and uh, some guests came to his house. And Mawlana uh, Yahya Saab, his father said, you know, go, please go grab a pillow. Go grab a pillow for the mehman. Today the father himself will go get the pillow. He'll never tell the son. I don't know why. 
He'll do it himself. They say, no, he's busy or whatever else. So um, he, the, he, went, he said, go get the pillow. So the three or four-year-old says, He was asking, innocent kid, which one do you want? My, should I bring my pillow? And he said, my dad slapped me. He said, You have a pillow? What is that supposed to mean, your pillow? Since when did something become yours? Right there. He writes it in his biography. He said, from the very get-go, this whole idea that me, myself, and I, and I own something, was destroyed from us. It was, that it didn't even, my father didn't allow it to take root into us. Every time it was our regard is amana from Allah. Ya Allah ki today, is, today is a pillow. Tomorrow is a car. Third day is the house. The fourth day is your money. And your money doesn't belong to you. Your house doesn't belong to you. Your car doesn't belong to you. Nothing belongs to you. It all belongs to Allah. You're going to spend it and you're going to use it the way Allah wants you to do it. That, those were those great men and women who knew how to make tarbiyah. You sit this today and say, oh, this is extremist. That's the problem. We've gotten so far away from the fitrah of the deen that the true deen sounds weird to us. You know, if, if, you, if, uh, if you drink an, a pure organic milk, you know, if a straight that's been, real organic that's been what? Milk the same day, right in front of you, and they boil it, of course, boil it, and you drink it. Our American kids, you think they can have cereal with it? They can't handle it. They probably even probably have to go diarrhea or bathroom. Stomach. Why? Because they're used to drinking all this other milk that we, we all drink. That, that's the real milk. This is not the real milk. That's the real milk. But our body's gotten so accustomed to drinking artificial stuff that when we drink the real stuff, we actually get sick. And we, we don't like the taste. This is too raw. This is too, this is too weird. Organic stuff. The real stuff. You'll say, no, this doesn't. I like my artificial... You know, stuff. But let's have a fruit. No, I'll have a fruit roll-up. <laughs> a fruit roll-up compared to a fruit. Like, what are you talking about? People have lost, you know, the taste of real fruits. The real deen now seems very ajib to us. The fake deen, we've gotten so accustomed to it, that the real deen seems too hard. Seems too narrow-minded. Seems too difficult. And this is exactly where we had it. The next generation will say, Baba, why are you being so biased and racist and homophobic? It's already come. Yesterday someone was saying, he went for a proposal for a girl and the girl who's, who's apparently practicing religion, but she's like, you know what, I, I have problems. Why are, we, you know, why are we against this? And he's like, what? He's like, you know, this end of that, you know? But the idea, that already has 100% creeped into the Muslim community, for sure, into the 18, 20-year-olds who are like, no, why are we being judgmental? God's forgiving, who are you, etc. All this type of stuff. That would have never, no one would have ever dared say that. No Christian would say that in the 60s. See how watering it down? Where we at now? So we cannot change the world. The reason I'm telling you this, all these things I speak about in my talks, I can't change the world. I just, if, even if 50, five, five people sitting here says, you know what, I'm going to change the environment in my home. Alhamdulillah, successful. Even one person says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the way I raise my kids, the way I'm going to get married, the person I'm going to get married to. Bring deen from the very get-go. Make that the priority and you will enjoy here and over there. And as soon as you start giving priority to everything else besides the deen, we're going to be in a big problem. So teach our children adab and haya. The way Abu Siddiq al saying, don't be impressed with your clothes. Don't sit there. You know? And, 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 and that's one beautiful thing that I benefited from my parents and I encourage this for other parents too, is that you have to strike an amazing balance between encouraging your children and between boosting their ego unnecessarily. And we have a lot of parents who do that. Either the old school, they see mentality, uneducated group of people. They sit there, everything the child does is always never enough. 
Always pulling him down, pushing him down. No, why, why 93? It should have been a 97. You know, why, you know, one person, subhanAllah, he came to me, he was crying years ago. He said, I was at a tennis match playing and my mother saw I missed a few rounds. And so she started jeering against me and rooting for my opponent. Her own mother, his own mother. And the 17-year-old is heartbroken. Like, so what kind of ajeeb parenting is this? Right, so that's, that's, there's nothing good in that of being harsh. But then you have the other one who every single occasion he says, can, I, can my son give the adhan? Can my son lead the salah? Can my son, he's seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, constantly pushing, propelling. Qiyamul Layl, can he come do, running around doing Qiyamul Layls everywhere, giving talks everywhere. And he never sat in front of Ustad yet. You know how bad that's for his ego? You start making YouTube videos of him, promoting him, setting up the camera. The father's running around like an agent for the kid. I swear there's stuff happening, a lot of this in our community. And online. Little 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, girls, boys. One very famous person, one very famous girl like this. I was in a masjid. I have a habit, if I see something wrong, I can't keep my mouth shut. I'll go tell them, right? If I think the person will listen. So I was in one community, and I saw this girl who's, who's looking, marveling at her picture and her advertisement on the TV of, of the masjid. And that she's coming to town. And she's just looking at it. And I'm like, subhanAllah, like, this is just so bad for her ego. And eventually, I said, I, I found a person running around with the camera and stuff. I said, are you his dad or her dad? I said, he said, yeah. I said, okay, can I get talk to you? I took him to the side. I said, listen, I'm a nobody. I'm coming from Chicago. I was here for a talk. I came, I'm running to the next masjid. But I'm taking the time out to talk to you. What you're doing to your daughter is actually very harmful. And I had seen him before online. I said, this continuous self-promotion of her, without her even st- studying the deen, is going to destroy her soul. You're using this to make money off of her through YouTube ads. Because she's become famous. This is a, she doesn't know she's an innocent girl. But you are, is that what Allah gave you this child for? To make money off of him? He just looked at me. I said, no, I mean it. And so interestingly, subhanAllah, one other very famous scholar of the country, uh, national level, one day we were just speaking, and he's like, yeah, that girl's father called me and said, uh, can you teach, uh, you know, she was performing, performing at some conference, and he was there. And then he's, he, the father brought her and said, oh, Sheikh, you know, this is my daughter. And he said, he said, I told her, what are, why, why is she performing? This is the time for her to go enroll in a school, madrasa, somewhere, go study the deen. Why are you parading around the country with this? So I was, alhamdulillah, so happy that, mashallah, what I said was, not, was something corroborated by another, you know, alhamdulillah, well-known senior alim of the country. Um, and so the idea is, this is also very bad. Promoting our children, always boosting the confidence, everything's fine, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. This is not good. So... Um, and so I was just saying, my parents had did, a, alhamdulillah, a great balance in that. When, when they needed to push me, last night you heard the story of being pushed into speaking, public speaking, right? <laughs> because why? I'm not a little kid now, right? I'm 22 years old, and man, you know what? You need to just learn how to swim now, just jump in. But then there are times when you're young. If I would, uh, uh, what you call, if guests would come in, or someone would come in, and I'd start reading Quran, like extra beautiful, I remember my mom would get upset. Literally, my mom would say, who are you trying to show off to? Right? And no one says that nowadays. No one will tell their kid, hey, child, stop showing off. But that's how my mother would tell me. She would just straight up tell me, stop. That's what she would tell me, right? She said, why are you trying to show off? And, okay, I realize that's what it is. That's all it is. Someone walked in, you try to impress someone. Why do I need to elongate that mud and act like, oh, reading nicely? But parents love that. They'll pull out their phone and they'll start, oh, you do, and then post it everywhere else. So we have to have this balance when it comes to encourage them, self-esteem, make sure, but then don't say you're the best. Because they're not the best. I'm not the best, nor are you. 
No one's the best, okay? <laughs> Musa alayhi salam said, who's the most knowledgeable? He said, I am, which was true in, definitely in 99% of the sense, 99% that was correct. But Allah didn't like that. Allah said, no, go to Khidr now. You got, there's someone else who knows more than you. He knows certain things that you don't know. Of course, Musa salam still knows probably overall more than Khidr. But Khidr had certain knowledge of certain things that Musa salam did not have. Allah says, no, you don't never say I'm the best. You never say I'm the most knowledgeable on this. So this is the, the little uh, section thing I wanted to focus on was teaching our children what's right and correcting them. Um, the Prophet visited Aisha. He saw a curtain at her door with images on it. Images on the curtain that was covering the door. Because they didn't have doors many times. They would just have a thick curtain there. He said, Oh, Aisha, destroy it. Curtain, come on. Why are you becoming like so hardcore? Right? Curtain. This is our Nabi. This is our Nabi. Because you know why? Nabi, kya hai bhai? Nabi reh gaye naat sharif ke liye. Jhoomenge. Wow. That's what Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is for? Praises of the Prophet. Bring some praise of the Prophet. Bring a tabla. Bring a little drum. Bring some, some oud. Huh? Bring some, what you call it? Some green tea. Call it a maulid or call it some random weekly majlis. And subhanAllah, you sit there and we enjoy. I'll cry, you cry too. But kuch fayda nahi. That, that, that's not going to get us anywhere. Nabi, if you love Nabi, you have to bring ita'ah. And what did these tell us? Nabi Sallallahu he was he a wishy-washy person? Yesterday you, you heard about it. What, what about Nabi Sallallahu What did he say? About that, you know, even if my daughter, Allah billah, were to steal something, her hand would be on the line. It would be cut. I'm not, don't, even, don't even try to ask me to change the injunctions. I can't do that. That's not in my hands. But look what he said. He saw simply some images on the door and he said, Remove it. Why? When I see it, it reminds me of this world. It's too materialistic. When we go to our house, and if we see something that someone bought, the husband or the wife, that's too gaudy, too attractive, unnecessary, we have to speak up. This is a distraction. This new ornament is absolutely not necessary. It has no benefit in deen nor dunya. All it does is make us Forget the akhirah. It makes us feel like we've arrived in Jannah, which we have not. We have to work hard for it. So that correction has to come from one of the two partners. Someone has to say that this is not what Allah sent us for. You have to have a comfortable home, nice home, clean home, this there. But do we have unnecessary things that will distract us from our, our memory of Allah Azza wa Jal? No. Simple. That's what it is. So husband and wife have to be reminding one another about these type of things. And so this reminder happens from the very first week of marriage. 40 years later, 30 years later, this start happening then it causes problems. So then, beloved brothers, when we're dealing with people who are already married, say, what should we do? When you, do, when you sit with someone who you are already, 20-year-old son, what should I do? 30-year-old uh, marriage, what should I do? Then, nahiyan al munkar, prohibition from evil is something you don't want to do immediately. Instead, you want to work on their imaniyat. Work on their love for Allah and Rasulullah the way it's supposed to be. Allow them to warm up to gatherings of deen. And when naturally, like I tell you, when you come to this mahol, this environment, mashallah, I'm so hearing so many positive things that brothers have been sharing with me. Two days in, three days in, uh, you know, little brother came up to me and said, I was marrying a certain person, engaged, but now I don't think so. I said, what happened? He said, because I realized 
There's no deen in the family. And just doing two days into itikaf, I realized that this is not going to work. I don't, I don't want to live, live a life with a person who doesn't have deen. MashaAllah. Did we talk about, maybe we don't even talk about these things. But staying in an environment of the masjid, staying in an environment of dhikr, tilawat, Quran, and lectures by, by different students of knowledge, what happens? The veils get automatically start falling from our eyes. And we start slowly start understanding things. And when we start understanding what's right and what's wrong, we will make a decision yourself. <coughs> That's why when people say, can you speak to my son or daughter, etc., I always tell them, just come to the weekly program here. Come to the Tuesday dars. Then we'll talk. Just come. Inshallah, 50% of whatever you want me to talk about will be solved by the end of the tafsir dars. And the rest of it will take care of it after that. This is like what you call the pre-op. Right? You have your preparations before the operation. So this idea of coming to a dars, that's what it is. It's, it's like anesthesia maybe you want to call it, before you actually do the surgery. Imagine you do surgery without anesthesia, how painful that would be. So if you go home and you start screaming at your sons and daughters, you're screaming at your spouse, that's what it is. It's doing surgery without anesthesia, it's going to fail. The way to do that is you simply recognize that, okay, I understand what I need to do now as a father, as a husband, or a future husband. I need to make sure now, whoever I want to have an effect on, I need to slowly, without saying anything to them, bring them into the environment. Don't correct them right or wrong. This attitude that, oh, you know, it's just so weird, man. Deen, Allah maaf kare, fathers don't have deen, and they selectively choose the deen that they want to implement on their kids. If the child, if the father really had deen, the child more than likely would have had it. But when the father doesn't have deen, and then in front of me, it says, look at, chain you know, he's wearing a chain, tell him. You know, like you're not a no farishta, I'm sorry. I haven't seen you in the masjid for months. Your business life is messed up. This life is messed up. Allah alam, what a parent is messed up. What's hidden, I don't know. Hidden for all of us is messed up. A parent is also messed up. And now you want to call him out in front of me as an outsider on that he's wearing a necklace. That's wrong. He will never give it up. You bring him with, just bring him, send him with me. Go to the masjid, attend a program. Mashallah. Himself will come and say, you know what? In his habit, well, I'm, I'm saying a real story. They will themselves will come and say, I've heard different multiple opinions about this chain. What, you, what is the opinion? What's the, what should I follow? Subhanallah. Recently, I was traveling and a young Arab brother came to me wearing a chain, all this stuff. Sheikh Mufti, is this, is this, hala, is this permissible? What's this? Is this is uh, haram or makruh or what? And I told him, listen, don't ask these type of questions whether something is haram or makruh. Ask should I wear it or should I not? Is it permissible or not? That's it. Don't get into this categorization of haram, makruh, tahrimi, makruh, tanzimi, mabah, mustaba, and all these things. Because this is a way of shaitan to get into you and say, ah, it's okay. It's not that bad. I said, okay, thank you. So then I said, no, you should not wear it. Khalas, took it off. When deen, because why he was there, and he was in the environment, in qiyamul layl, and tahajud, whatever the case may be, listening to different talks. You don't need to tell, everyone knows what they need to do. They just need the willpower. So if you go screaming at people saying, stop doing this, they know they're, what they're doing is wrong, but when you tell them like that, their ego comes in. And then they on purpose will say, no, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna get, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna be stubborn, I'm not gonna change. So to remove that stubbornness, what do we need? We need mahol, environment. So if we all wanna work on someone, say you've got your some best, of your best friends, all of us I'm sure have some friends, call them tonight. Call them after Asr, call them, call, I mean, call them after Maghrib, after Iftar. Say, hey, you know what, can you please, if you're driving distance from here, an hour, two hours, I'll say even if they are flying distance, they catch a flight tomorrow. If you really care for someone, I've had people who I had, I've had influence on and, or who re, and I call them. And they're like, we're busy. I said, just fly in and fly out. And they literally flew in for like 14, 18 hours. 
and every single time they're here, for, even for that for 18 hours that they flew into, they were like, my God, every single second was so worth it, so worth it, I cannot imagine. It really is worth it. I know that it's worth it, and you know it. If someone comes here in this environment right now and spends 16 hours, 14 hours, 12 hours, it can easily be sufficient to change their life. Whatever's on their eyes, it can be removed. Whatever's blocking their ears can be removed. They just need mahol, environment. And outside, the mahol is not there. In Ramadan also, we have a suhoor fest going on. So how are you going to have mahol, environment? Right? We have all these other, other ajib things of ghafla, heedlessness that's taking place. And now you have all the Eid bazaars happening. And that's where everyone, you know, Chandrat. Chandrat is like the biggest, Chandrat celebrations is like the biggest proof that shaitan comes out when Ramadan ends. You know? That's like the, the, the solid proof. Because like, what happened everyone? You're supposed to be crying, Allah accept my Ramadan and allow my, my, the rest of the year to be better. And people are, are, they don't even forget about the masjid. Everything is empty and everyone's in the bazaar, mixed bazaars, music is playing, men and women joking around, laughing around with each other. SubhanAllah, ajeeb environment. May Allah protect us from that environment. May Allah protect our wives and daughters from that environment. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. So if you, there is chance still. We have another two, three days. Call someone, your friends, text message them, encourage them. All of you, I want you to look at the people in your neighborhood. Look at the people in your area, your cousins, your siblings. Can I ask you all to do this, inshallah? Yes? No? It's a little bit louder. Right? So you take some time out. Your phone should be in the, in the, in the office. Okay, this is permission I take you to take your phone out. Don't you sit and open your phone and message people. And say, I'm in Atikaf here. Alhamdulillah, I've benefited in whatever ways. I would love for you to come. I love for you. You got to love for your brother what you love for yourself. And this is where it comes in. Love for your brother what you love for yourself. And always remember we're here because of someone else. All of us are here because of someone else. Someone somewhere down the line pushed us, encouraged us to some journey. And Alhamdulillah, Allah brought us over here. So we should do the same as an ummati of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this was about Aisha removing, being told to remove the, the uh, curtain because it was distracting. Abu Nadir said, In The strap of the sandal of the Messenger of Allah broke. The strap of the sandal of the Messenger of Allah broke. So he fixed it with something new. Then he began looking at it while he was praying. When he finished his prayer, he said, Remove this. And put the first strap back in its place. Someone said, Why, Ya Rasulullah? He said, Indeed, I was looking at it while I was praying. I mean, the shoe might have been next to him, his eyes fell upon it. But the idea, because why? Why would your shoes fall upon it when your eyes are. The, why do you think his eyes fell upon his shoes? Why? Because strap, yes, but like, how many of us see our shoes when we're praying? Because the house is so small. There's nothing there. There's no space. There's no shoe area, mudroom, garage, bedroom, namaz room. It's all one teeny tiny spot. When Aisha radiallahu anha is lying down, he needs to go into sajda, he has to tap her for her to pull her feet back for him to do sajda. That was the norm. That's our Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? So the idea is anything that becomes attra- attractive here that will make us forget our deen, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam didn't want any, any part of that. That's what we're talking about. So we, we are ending here on the chapter of humility. But subhanAllah, one, one of the things, I, when I was 
studying my first year when I went to Darulam Zakaria yesterday I said many stories of Mufti Rada al-Haq one thing I want to share with you is that what, Haji Farooq was one of the senior ulama of Tazkiyah he was from um, uh, Sakkar in Pakistan so his son Malan Abdul Bari his father is a very famous sheikh of Pakistan I met him I was in my first year there Mulana Saab was doing his iftah so we, 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 I used to go to Mufti Saab's house a lot and Mulan Abdul Bari Saab used to sleep because remember I told you Mufti Saab's wife and kids are in Pakistan all that. so Mulan Abdul Bari was staying at Mufti Saab's house that's where he used to stay so I would bump into him every single day when I was doing khidmah Mufti Saab and, and, and so, so I told him my brother and I both were talking to him he's like your father is Haji Farooq subhanAllah he's still alive okay mashallah now he passed away that time he was a why are you here in Africa? Why did you leave Pakistan to come to South Africa? Okay, I'm doing iftar. He was the only student. There's no proper, at that time, 1998 or 1999, there was no proper iftar program, special post-alim course specialization program. Why are you here, left a huge madrasas of Pakistan, your dad could get you in anywhere you want. Why did you leave all that and came here, come over here? His answer was deep. He said, my father sent me here to spend time in the company of Hazrat Mufti Radha al-Haqsab to learn humility. Yeah, I'm doing takhassus al-fiqh, becoming mufti, but that's secondary. Number one is to learn what? Tawazo seeking He sent me to learn humility. MashaAllah. So those, that's something that as a father and mother, we have to make sure that our children are not, are not narcissistic, are not arrogant, are not full of themselves, are not conceited. That's what we have to make the tarbiyah. And that tarbiyah is not going to only come through corrections, but allowing them to sit in the company of people who have humility. Last story, my first sheikh, Ghari Amirul Hassan, who was Beto until he passed away. One day, subhanAllah, I, I wanted to spend some time with him in 2007. So I called him, I said, Hazrat, I'm coming to India. I'm coming to India to spend time with you. So he was so old, right? He was in his like mid-80s. And he said, Why are you here? Why are you coming? I said, I got 10 days off. I want to spend these days with you. So he literally, he tells me, he's like, like something along the lines, someone's giving you the wrong number. I have, I don't know, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. I have nothing. Why would you be coming from America to come meet me? I've got nothing to give. And you know, the, 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 the frank Americans that we are, I said exactly, this, what you just said is the exact reason why I'm coming. Because I'm from America and we're full of ourselves. The biggest problem is we're a very arrogant group of people. We are. Acknowledge it. We have this whole exceptionalism nonsense to ourselves. American Muslims and non-Muslims. We're super arrogant. We think we rule the world, we run the world, and we are somehow intrinsically superior to everyone else. Look at what happens in Hajj. All the Americans, how they act. You'll, be, you'll literally feel... Um, ashamed to be an American sometimes. As a person, Alhamdulillah, has traveled a lot. You seem ashamed because you see Americans acting arrogant overseas in different airports and different places. You're like, oh my God, this is, I don't want nothing a part of this. Muslims, by they're, they're as brown as anyone can be. But this is no, this is it. You know, they just finished eating their pan also, but they'll say, no, I'm, I've, I have American passport, so I'm gonna, I have, it gives me the right to be arrogant. So I told Qari Saab, Amir al Hazrat, Amariya was kibar the factory Right? We have a whole factory of arrogance and I've come, I need to clean myself up. And the only way I'm going to clean it up by spending time with someone like you who's reached what we call the maqam of fana'iyat. Fana'iyat is a maqam or a status in spirituality where you genuinely think that you're zero. You're nothing. You actually, you would say, like these people are such, they would say, they could say this and they would not be hanif, meaning they would not be lying. 
Wallahi al-Azim, I believe every single person who is in front of me or behind me or to the, my right or my left is superior to me. And what I would say, they would not be hanif, meaning would not be, they would not be lying. Because they genuinely believe this. And I read this about Munash Shaitani, He said, I believe that every single Muslim is superior to me and every non-Muslim has a chance of being superior to me because it could be that he does tawbah and he passes away in Islam and I don't do tawbah and I pass away with something else. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this humility. May Allah grant us this humbleness. May Allah allow us to spend time in the company of humble people. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring these sifat of the Sahaba into our lives. May Allah jalla jalaluhu make us people of iman who will speak the truth, live by the truth, die by the truth, invite towards the truth, and will be raised with the truth on the day of judgment. Inshallah, we will start the dua as your brothers walk downstairs. Inshallah, can everyone move, uh, go downstairs for their, to break their, meal, to break their um, fast, inshallah, and you can join us in the dua from downstairs. Let us go walk down quietly. Please do not be talking as you make your way downstairs. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم انت السلام ونك السلام وتبارك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا نحصي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك اللهم يا حي يا قيوم يا أحد الصمد الذي لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كوفا أحد ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكون من الخاسرين اللهم يا حي يا قيوم يا حي يا قيوم لا إله إلا هو الحليم الكريم سبحان الله رب العرش العظيم والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم إنا نسألك موجبات رحمتك وعزائم مغفرتك والغريمة من كل بر والسلامة من كل إثم اللهم لا تدع لنا ذنبًا إلا غفرت ولا همًا إلا فرجت ولا مريضًا إلا شفيت ولا دينًا إلا قضيت ولا ضالًا إلا هديت ولا سائلًا إلا أعطيت ولا حاجة من حوائج الدنيا والآخرة هي لك رضًا ولنا فيها صلاح إلا أعنتنا ويسرتها لنا يا أرحم الراحمين يا أكرم الأكرمين يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم لك اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد صلاة تنجينا بها من جميع الأحوال والآفات وتقضيلنا بها جميع الحاجات وتطهيرنا بها من جميع السيئات وترفعنا بها عندك على درجات وتبلغنا بها أقصى الغايات من جميع الخيرات في الحياة بعد الممات إنك على كل شيء قدير اللهم ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكون من الخاسرين اللهم ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار ربنا أفرغ علينا الصبر وتوفنا مسلمين ربنا اغفر لنا والإخواننا الذين سبقونا بالإيمان ولا تجعل في قلوبنا غلا للذين آمنوا ربنا إنك رؤوف الرحيم ربنا هب لنا من لدنك رحمة وهي لنا من أمرنا رشدا ربنا هب لنا من لدنك رحمة وهي لنا من أمرنا رشدا ربنا هب لنا من لدنك رحمة وهي لنا من أمرنا رشدا رب اجعلني مقيم الصلاة ومن ذريتي ربنا وتقبل دعاء رب اجعلني مقيم الصلاة ومن ذريتي ربنا وتقبل دعاء رب اجعلني مقيم الصلاة ومن ذريتي ربنا وتقبل دعاء ربنا اغفر لي ولوالدي والمؤمنين يوم يقوم الحساب رب ارحمهما كما ربياني صغيرا رب ارحمهما كما ربياني صغيرا رب ارحمهما كما ربياني صغيرا لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل على الله توكلنا اللهم انا نسالك من خشيتك ما تحول به بيننا وبين معاصيك ومن طاعتك ما تبلغنا به جنتك ومن اليقين ما تهون به علينا مصائب الدنا ومتعنا اللهم ويسمعنا وابصارنا وقواتنا ما ابقيت وجعل الوارث منا وجعل ثأرنا على من ظلمنا اللهم لا تجعل الدنيا أكبر همنا ولا مبلغ علمنا ولا غاية رغبتنا ولا إلى النار مصيرنا اللهم اشفنا واشف مرضانا ومرض المسلمين وارحم موتانا وموت المسلمين وانصر المستضعفين من المسلمين في كل مكان اللهم أصلحنا وصح شبابنا وصح نساءنا وردنا إسلام رجل جميلة اللهم اجعل القرآن العظيم ربيع قلوبنا وجلاء أحزاننا وذهاب همومنا وغمومنا وسائقنا إلى جناتك الجنات النعيم اللهم أرنا الحق حق وارزقنا اتباع وأرنا الباطل باطل وارزقنا اجتنابا 
اللهم يا حي يا قيوم اقبل بقلوبنا الى دينك اللهم اقبل بقلوبنا الى دينك اللهم خذ بنواصينا الى الخير اللهم خذ بنواصينا الى الخير والله يا سيدي اكسبت اور فاست اكسبت اور صدقه ان شيرتي اكسبت اور مطالعه ان ريدنج ديفرنت فيريس اسلاميك تكست بوكس والله اكسبت اور تلاوه القران اكسبت اور ذكر اكسبت اور دعاء اكسبت اور استغفار اكسبت اور يا الله شيرتي اكسبت اور جود كاركتر والله وات ايفر وي هاف دان ان ذس بليسد مانث اوف رمضان وات ايفر وي هاف دان ان ذا باست ييرز اوف اور لايف وي اسك يو تو جرانت اول اوف ذا قبوليه اند اكسبتنس Oh Allah, we ask you to grant us ikhlas. Oh Allah, grant us all ikhlas. Oh Allah, grant us all ikhlas. Oh Allah, allow us to never, ever, ever regard ourselves as sincere. Allow us to always regard ourselves as insincere while you grant us the highest levels of sincerity. Oh Allah, allow us to be enjoying the highest levels of humility while we never regard ourselves to be humble. Oh Allah, allow us to be granted the highest levels of zuhud and, and dis- distance from the worldly material things while never allowing us to think that we are zahid. Oh Allah, we ask you to turn the direction of us and our hearts and the hearts of our spouses and our children towards you oh allah guide our spouses guide our parents oh allah guide our siblings ya allah guide us ya allah oh allah give them all a correct true understanding of the deen shown to us by rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and explained to us by the ulama of every region and every era ya allah oh allah we ask you allah to to be barakah in the remaining nights and days we have ramadan oh allah put barakah in the remaining days and nights we have ramadan oh allah we ask you to allow us to witness laylatul qadr allow us to witness laylatul qadr ya allah oh allah whoever is going through any type of insani jinnati shaytan shayatini difficulties oh allah whoever is suffering from any evil effects of hasad evil effects of the evil eye all the evil effects of sihr all the evil effects of their sins oh allah oh allah or her suffering your wrath we beg you allah to remove all of their suffering and their suffering and their suffering ya allah and their suffering ya allah and their suffering ya allah allow them to overcome their internal demons ya allah allow all of us to in, in, in overcome our internal nafs our biggest enemy allow us all to put our foot down on our nafs allow us to be able to squash our nafs allow us to do what's right and not what's in accordance to our nafs or the nafs of our, our our close family relatives oh allah bring deen into our family bring deen into our wives bring deen into our children bring deen into our parents oh allah bring deen, deen into our siblings oh allah bring deen into us and all of them ya allah oh allah we ask you allah from your immense mercy and grace that you grant us the ibadah of accept the ibadah of laylatul qadr and grant us an ibadah accept the ibadah of the 27th night after maghrib ya allah o oh allah allow us to utilize every second and every moment of the night and the day in a manner that is befitting to you in a manner that will get us to your highest levels of paradise ya allah o oh allah we ask you allah whoever is got, going through any type of difficulty o oh allah we, whether of this dunya qabr or akhirah whether it's related to them their children or their parents we ask you allah to fulfill their needs fulfill their needs and take care take care ya allah take care of all their needs of this dunya qabr and akhirah ya allah oh allah whoever has asked us to pray for them or is wanting for us to pray for them we ask you to grant them the best of best worlds subhana rabbika rabbil izati amma yasifun wa salamun alal mursalin walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin we can continue with our own dua for a couple more minutes